listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. I want to deal with today, and by the way, welcome to everybody that's on. Take a minute to share it. Ava was the first on YouTube, and uh, Portia was the first on, on Facebook. I, I've got them separated, so I can't truly see the first. But good morning, Ashley and Ted. Love you guys. Uh, I want you to share it. Today, I'm dealing with this thought about five types of people that are destroying your destiny. This might be one of the things that I see the most as I travel church to church, seeing people where the enemy wants to attack their life and, and keep them in a place where they're not receiving, in a place where they don't receive miracles, they don't see breakthroughs, uh, and then they get stale, they get cold, they get bitter, they blame God, when in reality, they're not guarded. They don't guard themselves. They don't guard their lives. They don't guard their families or homes. And it is important who you connect your life to. That's why we're creating uh, you know, a victory tribe of people that we have the same like faith. We are the same, we are of the same company. We're cut from the same cloth. We are people of faith and people that'll praise and people that'll get breakthroughs in Jesus' name. Listen, if the world and the spirit of this world is creeping into some churches and that's what they want, let them have it. I don't want it. I don't, I have nothing in common with the spirit of this world. And I'll go beyond that and say, I've got nothing in common with Christians that are bowing their knee to the spirit of this world. Nothing in common. Absolutely nothing in common. And, um, and so I'm just telling you, it's important who you hang with. It's important who's in your life. I made this point on Sunday that uh, we read that story in, in the Gospels of the man that was paralyzed. I make the point that, you know, of course he believed that Jesus was a healer. But if he also didn't have friends who believed the same thing, there was no way he was getting a miracle. Period. No way he's getting a miracle. He's paralyzed, a quadriplegic on a mat. And if his friends had not carried his mat to where Jesus was, there was no miracle happening. And, and look at that. It's not that his friends just was, were willing to carry him. But on top of that, when they got there and the house was too full and they couldn't get inside, they were also willing to not only climb up on the roof, but to find a way to hoist him up on top of the roof. And then, once they were up there, tear the roof off so that they could lower him down in front of Jesus. He had friends that were willing to go to another level. He had friends that believed in the power of God. And that's the same for us. I, it blows my mind, so I, I, I literally shared it to my story um, this morning, I was, I was kind of going through Instagram. I saw that Gary Vaynerchuk had posted a reel. Now, Gary's not a Christian. 
if you've ever if you've ever listened to me, you may not know who he is. He's one of the most popular uh, uh, online marketers and, and social media moguls in a way that there is. Motivator, uh, businessman, uh, and if, if you don't if you don't know who he is, that's what he does. But he's extremely extremely popular, um, and especially with the entrepreneur types. And he um, he was saying, and and remember this: not coming from a Christian. Not coming from some Holy Ghost filled, uh, you know, preacher or whatever. Um, this is a, a sinner. And he's saying, you're going to have to limit the people that are around you that are uh, filled with a cynical uh, mindset, critical. Uh, people that are always pessimistic, people that are always telling you it can't be done. And he doesn't even know it. And he's preaching a message on faith on his own Instagram account. He doesn't even know it. But he's literally telling people that the principles of faith have to be at work in your life if you're going to continue to do what you're supposed to do. He doesn't even know that. And I, I, the reason I put it on my story and I said, I said, how come Christians don't understand this? But guys like him that are successful, they do understand these things. You know, it's funny is it's funny to me to hear him drop all these F-bombs and, you know, like the, he curses like a sailor, but then he sits there and tells you, you've got to stay humble. You've got to love people. You have to be thankful, grateful. You have to treat people kindly. I mean, like he's sitting there laced with profanity, telling you to live by the fruit of the spirit. <laughs> I mean, it cracks me up. That he recognizes that there are principles that transcend humanity that bring the success you're believing for and that keep you from burning out, keep you from quitting, keep you from, you know, uh, and I'm, I'm laughing because he's over there, uh, you know, cursing like a sailor, but telling you to be humble, telling you to be kind, telling you to make room for other people's faults, telling you, telling you to be grateful, to be thankful, to keep yourself around people that will speak basically speak faith. You know, he's not saying speak faith. He says positivity, but he's talking about people that believe in you that tell you it can be done. Don't quit speaking faith. And it cracks me up. Yeah, exactly. Nancy said he's preaching without the Holy spirit. Exactly. And it, cra it cracks me up that these, that that's what's going on. And then, you know, he doesn't realize it, but Christians don't even have that proper mindset. And there's Christians that allow themselves to miss out on what God has planned for them <laughs> because they don't, they don't even understand those things. And they're biblical principles. And so what I'm going to talk about today, I'm going to deal with five types of people that are destroying your destiny. Five types of people. I, I will say this. I'm extremely careful with who I allow in my life, who I allow around me. Very, very careful about that because I know how important relationships are. I know how important your connections are. So I don't just hang with anybody and I don't just give my business to anybody and I just don't take advice from anybody. I am very, very particular about who I allow into that inner circle and you should be too. You should be too. 
And um, I want to deal with today these types of people because you, you'll see them. And, and the funny thing is that as I'm teaching on this today, you will literally have people start to come to your mind. It's just inevitable. When I start mentioning these types, you already know plenty of people like this, and they'll start coming to your mind as I'm teaching on this from Scripture. And you'll be like, oh, yeah, I know, I know someone like that. I know her. I know three people like that. And, and it's funny because they'll come to your mind when we talk about it, but then you have to discipline yourself and it doesn't mean you always have to cut everybody off, although some people should be cut off. Doesn't mean you don't love them. Doesn't mean that you won't still pray for them. But your life is too short and your purpose is too important to waste your time hanging out with people that refuse to change. Hanging out with people that refuse to obey the word. Hanging out with people that refuse to follow the instructions of the Holy Spirit. And they want to drag you down with them? I don't think so. I don't think so. That's not, that's not your story in Jesus' name. And it, it doesn't mean that you don't truly love somebody, but I don't have to spend time with everybody or listen to everybody either. And so let me, let me deal <coughs> with five types of people and talk to you about it, and then we'll go through it. Then we'll go through it from the Scripture. The first type of person I've eliminated completely out of my life, I mean, I don't even see these people anymore, but you should too, is those that are doubters. Number one, doubters. They are filled with doubt and unbelief. They are filled with doubt and unbelief. That's the first type of person that I do not allow a relationship with, completely removed from my life. And that's doubters. Put it in the comments. Put it in your notes. People that are filled with doubt and filled with unbelief. I'm not, I have no relationship with those people. We say, well, why not? Well, first of all, um, doubt and unbelief is a sin. <laughs> the Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 14, anything that does not proceed from faith is sin. To, to say God is not true in what he declared, I mean, like, what do you think it is when you call God a liar? In all honesty. Because to doubt, to, to live in unbelief, you're basically saying, well, I know what God said, but I don't believe it's true. I mean, what do you think that is? And how foolish can we be with finite minds? We have, we're, not, we're not infinite in our minds. Now we have access to God's thoughts and the mind of Christ, but we in and of ourselves are not infinite in our knowledge. How foolish is it of us to have access to an infinite God who has a plan and a purpose, who, who already has given us his written word, and us to read that word and... Uh, then say, well, you know, I know the Bible says that, but I just don't know that that's really, I don't really know that that's true. I don't, I, I don't, I've never seen it. I don't. That is foolish to govern infinite wisdom from a finite mind. Crazy. And so this doubt and this unbelief is something that you've got to keep far from your life, far from your life. Well, the Bible says 
uh, that you can't even please God without faith, right? Hebrews eleven six. I can't even please God without faith. So if I'm surrounding myself with people who are opposed to faith and then expecting to stay in faith, I've lost my mind. I've lost my mind. How could I stay in faith when I've surrounded myself with a, an environment that is void of faith? In the same way, I mean, listen, the devil already does enough to try to lie to you and get you out of faith. There's already enough thoughts coming at you from the enemy and the spirit of this world and what you see to try to get you out of faith. You don't need to give it any help by surrounding yourself also with people who don't have any faith and that doubt God all the time. You don't need to help the devil out with your relationships. Be guarded. Be guarded. You know, if you've, if, because what happens when you're sitting around believing for a miracle and then the person that's around you is like, well, you know, I know you believe like that, but don't get your hopes up. You know, I'd hate to see your hopes shattered and I blah, 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 blah. I don't have time for that. I need supernatural people around me that will believe the supernatural and that will move forward by the power of God. And that's what we're going to have. That's exactly what we're going to have. How am I going to sit around confessing and believing miracles and listening to the people around me? Well, you know, those things don't always happen and that's not for everybody and God doesn't do it. for. I don't have time for that. You don't have time for that. Doubters, unbelievers, it's a sin to call God a liar and to say that his word's not true and that his word doesn't have the power to produce. It does. It absolutely does. And so... We start, to, we start to look and see that if I were to examine my life, do I have people around me that are filled with unbelief? Here's where it really hits home. Are they in your family? <laughs> are they in your family? Who wants to have people in their family that are filled with doubt and unbelief? Because it's hard to limit access to your family members. You know, you've got a brother, you've got a sister, you've got a cousin, you know, all these different things. And you sit and you're thinking to yourself, um, man, they just simply don't believe God. They don't believe his word. They're full of doubt. Well, that's why. And I know people are like, well, that, that sounds like a cult, brother. No, it's the way Jesus operated. I'm not saying you have to never see your family again. It, it's not a cult. You still love your family. You still care about them. But it's like when Jesus, they came to him and said, hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are at the door. And he said, who are my mother and brothers? He said, they're the ones that have my commandments and obey them and follow after me. That's what he said. And he was making the point that the ones that are truly in his family, the ones that are truly in faith are the ones, not your immediate family, but the ones that are of faith, the ones in the kingdom. You know, we used to sing a song, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. But there was a verse of that song that said, though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. What happened in the past was that there were many people who, because they came into the faith. Their family left them. 
Their husbands left them. Wives left them. Children wouldn't speak to them anymore. People paid a price to be in the family of God. You know, I, uh, I had a great-grandmother that when she got saved and became a Christian, filled with the Holy Ghost, her husband, husband left her with a small daughter in the home, my grandmother, and left her and wasn't going to be married to some uh, Christian woman. And he'd come back and taunt her in the driveway, you know, on Saturday nights. You're not going to go dancing with us. You're not going to have... And she had decided to follow Jesus. There's people that have paid a price to follow Jesus. You understand. And um, Ashley said, my sister told me to my face, Jesus isn't the only way to heaven. And I haven't seen or spoken to her in almost 10 years. And it hasn't bothered her one bit. Well, hopefully that God would touch her and save her and uh, bring her into the kingdom. You know, Dawn's asking in the, in the comments, could my husband's disobedience uh, rob my blessing? Could, could my husband's disobedience? Now, the Bible says about that because I do realize that there are people that are around us, like some of you are thinking, like, I'm married to that person. But I want you to remember something, that Paul taught the church that if there is uh, a wife or a husband that is married to someone, you know, you got saved while you were married and the other person's an unbeliever, you're not to leave them behind. You're not to discard them or discard that relationship, but you're to stay with them and you're to let your godliness be a testimony to them. And so God honors your faith and your obedience. Though your husband or wife may not believe yet, God still honors your obedience and your faithfulness. Because remember, when we get to heaven, we're not going to stand before God as a couple. You know, Carolyn and I are not going to stand in front of God as a couple and say, well, you know, no, each person will answer to God individually. And what we do on the earth will be judged by the Lord. What works we did if we were obedient. I tell people, because you know, one of the biggest debates people always have is like, well, you know, I'm a Christian now and uh, you know, I want to tithe because the Bible teaches we should tithe and give, but my husband is not a Christian and my husband does not want me to give 10% of our income to the church. And, um, I've always encouraged, I've always encouraged, uh, women like that and said, listen, you know, first of all, do you work a job? Well, yes, I do. And I tell them, well, you may not have authority over your husband's finances, but just let him know that of my income, the, the money that I'm working for, I'm going to tithe off of my income. I'm going to give from my income. And then, you know, obviously he may not want to do it from his income and he doesn't understand. I had a lady like this one time in uh, North Carolina and she said, uh, you know, I, I was believing God and uh, my husband was upset with me because I was tithing and giving from our household income and he's not saved. And so he was like ticked off that I was doing it. And, uh, but I kept on doing it and telling him, no, we need to honor the house of God. We need to honor the Lord. And he just kind of was upset about it and didn't want to, didn't want to do it. Well, God allowed him to see the blessing of putting the Lord first. And, uh, she entered into some, uh, contest at a grocery store locally there outside of Charlotte. And it was so funny when she told me the, 
the, the, the testimony that she ended up winning second place, second place. And so her husband had gotten home before her and the message was on the answering machine. So he'd played it and found out that she'd won second place. And uh, when she came home, he had like this look, this sheepish look on his face. And he was like, listen to the answering machine. And she went over and turned it on. And they said, congratulations, so-and-so. You've won second place in this drawing. And the second place prize was $10,000. $10,000 for the second place prize. And he, she looked at him. After, after she heard that message play, you just won $10,000. He said, you know what? Maybe this tithe and giving stuff does work. <laughs> and God did something as a testimony. But I've told people, God judges you personally on uh, what you do. You know, he, you can't control other people's actions, but you can control what you do. And, um, Brother Kevin Dalton in the comments said, when Tammy and I got aligned on our giving and offerings, that's his wife, we have seen the tremendous blessings that have come from that increase every single year. And that's how it works. But you start to realize if you've got doubters in the family, if you've got doubters in the relationship, yes, you keep praying for them, especially if it's your husband or wife, you don't leave them, you pray for them, let your godliness be the witness. You keep on walking in peace, joy, love, you know, everything you, but show them your dedication to the kingdom. But if it's someone that you have the ability, you know, it's like someone not connected to you in that way. I don't spend time with those people because I know what a cancer doubt and unbelief are in the body of Christ. It keeps people from receiving miracles. Let me, let me show you um, Mark chapter six real quick. And then we'll move on to number two, but Mark chapter six I always refer to this because it's so powerful to understand that doubt and unbelief, even Jesus couldn't override those. Even Jesus couldn't override those. And the Bible says he went back to his hometown and they didn't receive him. This is Mark chapter six, verses one through six. Uh, they didn't receive him. They, they, they took offense at him. And he said, a prophet's not without honor except in his own hometown and among his relatives in his own household. And look at verse five and six. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of what? Their unbelief. He marveled because of their unbelief. So what was the thing that even kept Jesus we're talking the Son of God, the Word made flesh. It kept Jesus from ministering to those people. Unbelief. That's because doubt is a cancer in the body of Christ. It's a total cancer. It keeps people from receiving from God. And I've made up my mind. Life's too short and my purpose is too important to surround myself with doubters, with people that are filled with unbelief. If I get it, and I hear it from people, that'll be the last time we have lunch. That'll be the last time we're hanging out. Because you don't believe God. You don't trust him. You don't trust his word. You say, well, some people are weak in faith. Maybe they are. And I can tell the difference between somebody that's weak in faith that needs to be taught and people that are just simply rejecting what God's word said. And I've got no time for that. I've got no time for that.
the second type of person that truly does destroy the future that God has planned for you are people that are complainers and people that are unthankful. Complainers and unthankful. Nothing's ever good enough for them. Nothing's ever good enough for them. Always complaining. Always complaining. This is a terrible place to be. Terrible place to be. Let me show you what the Bible says in um, 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5. Listen to verse 18. Actually, I'm going to read starting with verse 16. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the the will of God concerning you. So it is God's will that we are constantly thankful. And I I dealt with this, I believe, yesterday a little bit on how you know, thankful people are able to access something from the Lord that others don't access. That happened in the Bible with the 10 lepers. The Bible says the one leper returned to give thanks. And even commentaries will tell you, he seemingly received something from Jesus in addition to what all 10 of them received. So all 10 of them received healing from their disease, but this man, Go your way, for your faith has made you whole. He received a different level of blessing than the other nine did because of his thankfulness. It unlocks the door to the power of God. Complainers. God hates complaining. He hates it. You look at the ones that were in the wilderness after they'd been delivered from Egypt, you know, and 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 they were and they're complaining, mumbling murmuring spirits kept them in wilderness situation for decades. They could have gone straight to the promised land. They could have gone straight in and they wandered in wilderness situations for decades. Why? Murmuring, complaining, unthankful. I want you to write this in the comments. I refuse to allow complaining to keep me in the wilderness. Put that in the comments section. I refuse to allow complaining to keep me in the wilderness. I refuse. I will not allow it. In Jesus' name. I refuse to allow complaining to keep me in the wilderness. Completing, it'll keep you straight out of the presence of God, straight out of the blessings of God, straight out of the favor of God. I refuse to allow complaining to keep me in a wilderness in my life. I'm not gonna have that. I'm going to walk in thankfulness and praise. And let me tell you, it's going to attract the favor of God to my life. It's going to attract the power of God to my life. I will not allow a complaining spirit to keep me in the wilderness. You know, there's some people, nothing is, they're not happy with anything. It's a sickening thing to watch, to be honest with you. But 
in all honesty. They're not happy with anything. Nothing. It's like you could put the nicest thing in front of them and they'll, they'll look around to pick up the one thing they're unhappy with. It's like unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. You imagine, you give someone a house and they're like, oh, I wonder what the property taxes are going to be on this. You know, that, that's what a complainer's like. That's an extreme example of what happens with complainers. You give them a house. Well, I wonder what the property taxes are going to be. This house is kind of big. I don't, the utilities are going to be out of this world on this house. It's like, seriously, I just gave you a house. <laughs> it's like, I just sewed a house into you. It's mind-blowing. And you sit there and think to yourself, like, nothing is good enough for complainers. Nothing is good enough for the unthankful. And it's, it's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. Look at the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 11. Dangerous place to be. Very dangerous place to be. Numbers chapter 11 and verse 1. Now, here's what we don't want to happen to us. This is why we stay so far away from complaining. We would never be identified as complainers. Never in Jesus' name. I will never be identified as a complainer in Jesus' name. I'm thankful. I'm thankful. And here's why. Numbers chapter 11 and verse 1. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. And the name of that place was called Taberah, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. That word Taberah means burning, means burning. The Lord heard their complaining, their murmuring, their moaning, and his anger was kindled against them, kindled against them, and it brought judgment. I want you to put this uh, in the comments. Complaining separates you from God's power and invites judgment. Get that in your spirit. Put it in your comments, put it in your notes. Complaining separates me from God's presence and opens me up to judgment. And that's not going to be our story in Jesus' name. That's why, why would I surround myself with complainers? Why would I allow myself to be followed around, to be hounded, and to befriend complainers? I'm not going to allow it. I'm not keeping those kind of people in my life. I'm separated from that. I am not a complainer. I'll tell people. I can't stand going out to eat with somebody that complains about every single thing at the dinner. It's like, dude, just shut up and eat it. Shut up and eat it. You've got people around the world that are starving, don't have any food, and you're upset because, you know, your steak wasn't pink enough. 
And you sit there. I thought this was a steakhouse. I thought you understood how to make steak at a steakhouse. Complainers. It's ridiculous. Complaining separates me from the presence of God and opens me up to judgment. You've got to understand the heart of God. Live for the call. Because you say, how do you help a teenager with this? You start, yeah, they need to understand the heart of God. One of the best things any, any Christian could do to see is to travel and do missions and, you know, take a week and go do missions in a country where they need help. They need help and see how people are living and be, begin to realize God has blessed us in America, North America. God's blessed us in Europe. You know. And it kindles the anger of God when people don't, I've been, I, I've been to eat with people that get so angry. <laughs> I'm just going to be very plain about it. I've been with people and these are preachers, which I don't hang with anymore that are so particular that if they get so angry, if their food comes out wrong that they have people that travel with them, that whatever they order, that person that travels with them will order the same thing so that if that preacher's food comes out wrong, the other person can give them theirs. You prissy little punk. You wonder why nobody wants to hang around you. Terrible, terrible. Take your frosted tips and go home. It's ridiculous. Complainers. Absolute complainers. And I'm not going to be opened up to judgment. Yeah, and then they don't tip like it was the waiter's fault that your food came out differently. Just absolute punks. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. No, I'm serious, Rachel. I'm serious. That stuff is ridiculous to me. Stop complaining. Be thankful. Be thankful that you're even alive and God has provided you the resources to go anywhere you want, sit down and eat a meal at any time. Meanwhile, overseas, people are walking for miles to get a bowl of rice that they have to share among their hut of four people living in a hut family. And they have to go back and separate one bowl of rice between four people. Janine, it's a Numbers chapter 11 and verse 1. And I'm just, I can't deal with it. You've got to be thankful. You've got to be thankful. Got to be thankful. And so don't get around complainers. Don't get around unthankful people. God forbid that rub off on you in any measure. Because it separates you from the power of God. And it opens you up to judgment. And the anger of God is kindled. You think the anger of God is kindled any less today than it was in the Old Testament? No, it doesn't. We just ought to give God thanks and praise that we're living in a season of mercy and grace rather than Old Testament judgment. (laughs) That's right, Rachel. Complaining is contagious. Flee from it. Flee from it. Number three, lazy people. That's another people I, 
And let me tell you, don't get Carolyn started. Don't get Carolyn started on lazy people. She, she's the hardest, one of the hardest workers I've ever seen in my entire life. And she can't abide, and neither can I, lazy bums. Lazy bums. I can't stand it. God does not approve of the lazy. God does not approve of the lazy. The Bible speaks against laziness. He hates it. God hates it. Go to Proverbs chapter 13. Lena said, we are so blessed having gone to Peru on missions. We've, we live like kings and queens in the States. And, and even, my, even in my parents' country, Dominican Republic, and it's heartbreaking to see that people are unthankful in the midst of not knowing what they have. God is blessed. And we, we ought to give thanks. Number, number three is lazy people. God can't stand laziness. Cannot stand the lazy. Listen to Proverbs um, chapter 13 and verse 4. The soul of the sluggard, that's a lazy person, craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. God loves diligent people, can't stand lazy people. Cannot stand it. Proverbs 13 and verse 4. The soul of the sluggard or the lazy person craves and gets nothing. Gets nothing. Flip back a few to uh, Proverbs chapter 6. And look at this. Proverbs chapter 6. And uh, let's start reading with verse number 6. And we'll read through 11. Proverbs 6, 6 through 11. The Bible says, go to the ant, O sluggard, O lazy person. Go consider the ant. Watch the ant, you lazy bum. That must be the message, the message translation. <laughs> Paraphrase. Consider her ways and be wise. So, what the, proverb, the writer of Proverbs is saying here is, if you'll just watch the, the work patterns of the ant kingdom, it will make you wise to understand the work patterns of that kingdom. Now he describes it, verse 7. Without having any chief, any officer, any ruler, she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? For a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. And so God hates laziness, can't stand it. See, laziness is unfruitfulness. And laziness is not, it's poor stewardship. It's terrible stewardship. That's what laziness is. No stewardship, no diligence. I mean, the whole parable Jesus told in Matthew 25. It's the parable of the talents. The one servant that, that the master called wicked. What did the first two servants do? 
They were diligent, investing, multiplying, right? Investing, multiplying, doubled their talents. When the master came back from his trip, the first servant had doubled his talents with investment and work. The second uh, servant doubled his talents with investment and work. And the final servant said, well, you know, I know you're a hard man, so I buried it in the ground. No stewardship, no diligence, no faithfulness, none, lazy. And, and I want you to look at what Jesus said to him. It's, it's Jesus' own parable. He says in Matthew 25, verse 26, Matthew 25, 26, this is how the master addressed that, that servant. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you wicked and lazy servant. So put this in the comments and never forget it. Jesus equates laziness with wickedness. Woo! That'll get you. That'll hit you hard. Jesus equates laziness with wickedness. You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I've not sown and gather where I had no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent out of his hand and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For to whom has, more will be given. So look at this principle. Those that are lazy, the Lord looks at as wicked. Laziness is wicked. And notice what's happening here. This lines up perfectly with the book of Proverbs. The lazy soul craves and gets nothing. Craves and gets nothing. And here he said, now the talent that I gave him at the beginning, even take that away from him and give it to the one who's a producer. Give it to the one who's diligent. Give it to the one that works it. Give it to the one that works it. You see that? And um, it's, it, it's a powerful thought that though laziness will rob you of all blessing, diligence will put you right into the favor of God. Puts you right in. Faithfulness, diligence, steadfastness puts you right into the favor of God. Um, the book of Proverbs says, do you see a man that's diligent in his work? He will stand before kings and he'll not serve mere men. So anybody that is uh, diligently hustling in the kingdom of God. You know, you hear that word hustle and people equate it to like somebody that's running a crooked you know, game or something. He's hustling me. No, I'm talking about hustle like you would hustle in sports. Like you would, like a coach would tell you good hustle, meaning you're giving it all you've got. Not talking about some, you know, dude on the street that's hustling people and stealing money, not using that definition. I'm talking about like in a sporting event, whether it's basketball, football, whatever, they're giving it everything they got. They're hustling. They've got heart and the, and the you know, you've ever had that. If you ever played sports and you come back in, your coach is like, that's a good hustle, good hustle. You know, what is he saying? You've given it everything you have. You're going out there and leaving it all on the court, on the field, on whatever. You're going out and being diligent, giving it 110%. Hustling, steadfast, diligent. See, and God blesses that kind of person. You know, there's people that are so dumb, they're like, you really think God needs you to work for him? Yes, I do. 
because the Bible tells me to. Yes, I do believe God needs me to work for him. That's why he called me to work for him. And yes, he needs, he wouldn't call it if he didn't need it. See, and you got to get laziness and lazy people out of the way. It's a waste of your time. It's a waste of your life. And let me tell you what will happen if you let them stick around. This is just inevitable. And I would love to see, you don't have to mention any names, but I would love to see some hands in the comments of people that this has happened to you, that you allow lazy people to stick around and then they just start draining you of your resources, draining you. They're just leeches. They're just taking what you've got. They always happen to show up at the house right before dinner time, you know, and hang around to you like, well, would you like to stay for dinner? Oh yeah. Well, you know, I don't want to put you out, but I'd be happy to, I'd be happy to smells good in here. Smells good in here. You know what I mean? They'll drain you of every last purse, uh, uh, penny in your purse. You know, it's funny how you, you go out with them and the bill comes and they don't reach for it. They don't reach for it. Why? These people end up being leeches, lazy people. They don't want to do the work. They don't want to spend the money. They don't want to, none of it. None of it. <laughs> Jess said this was a, that was a premarital conversation in our house, including family. <laughs> Laziness. It's dangerous, man. It's dangerous. Janine said, I got rid of them. I hope that doesn't mean you hired a hitman, Janine. I hope that means you just stopped hanging out with them. I got rid of them. Janine, the gangster in New York. <laughs> I got rid of them. They're six feet under. No, I hope it just means. <laughs> yeah, AJ, I didn't realize you'd be cooking supper, cooking at supper time when I decided to drop by your house. And it's true. They just, they just, they leech and drain you because they're lazy. They don't want to do any work. They don't want to, they don't even want to cook dinner. That's why they show up at your house and you got to cut them out. You know, they would not allow in the early church, they wouldn't allow laziness. You know what they taught? If you don't work, you're not entitled to eat. How about that? If you don't work, you're not entitled to eat. I'll give you another one. The Bible says, if you don't work to provide for your family, then you are worse than an infidel. Bible says that. If you don't work to provide for your family, then you are worse than an infidel. God hates laziness. He hates it. He hates it. So get the, get the lazy people out. You're not going to change them. If they've not changed... They're watching your diligence anyway. You say, well, I'm just hoping I can change them. They're watching your diligence and they're still not changing. They're watching your hard work and they're still not changing. It's not your, let me just say this. This will take a load off of somebody's shoulders. This will take a load off somebody's shoulders. Put this in the comments and never, ever forget it. It's not my job to change everybody. Please, please put that in the comments section. It is not my job to change everybody. You, you, you get this mindset like you're on a crusade to change every person you've ever met. 
Well, I got to work with him until he's different. I got to work with her until she's different. There's just some people that aren't going to, they don't have any desire to change. Stop trying to make them change. They don't even want to change. It's not my job to change everybody. They've got a free will. They can do what they want to do. And I've got too much going on to try to change everybody's way of life. If the Lord can't change them, if conviction can't change them, if their pastor preaching doesn't change them, if the word doesn't change them, then why, why am I thinking that I'm going to change them? It's not my job to change everybody. I can give them the truth. I can give them the truth. That's why, for, be very honest with you, for the most part, pastoral counseling really is a waste of time. I know I'm an evangelist, but I was an associate pastor for eight years under my uncle, Pastor Terry Shuttlesworth. And I can't tell you how many times you counsel somebody and then they go out and do the exact opposite anyway. They don't even listen to a thing you said, not a thing. So I'm not saying this with no experience. I'm saying it knowing the behind the scenes. Now, there are people that have been hurt, people that are in crisis, people that need, you know, that kind of, that's, that's a whole different thing. But you go in and tell, they're as, well, what, Pastor, what do you think I should do? Well, what about this? What about this that's going on? And then they go out and do everything the opposite of what you told them to do. So what was the point of you coming in and wasting, total waste of an hour and a half of my day so you could go out and do the exact opposite of what I advised you to do? Out of wisdom from the word of God, and you go out, and then things turn sour, and they're like, well, my pastor doesn't understand, and I don't like the church, and this, they don't, and then they leave and go somewhere else. God bless you, but how about we just skip the whole counseling thing right up front, read the Bible for yourself, and make the changes. People don't get that. That's what most counseling is. You talk for an hour and a half and give them advice, and then they do the exact opposite. It's not my job to change everybody. I give you the truth. But I'm going to tell you something. People have to employ the truth for themselves. They have to see the value of the heart of God and make the changes. And I'll tell you, there's a weight that lifts off your shoulders when you realize, I'm not supposed to change everybody. I can't, I'm not called to change everybody. God changes. The Holy Spirit speaks. He changes. He convicts. Right? It doesn't mean you don't love people. It's just you realize when some things are a total waste of time. Total waste of time. That's right. You have to want to change. That's exactly right. You'll not change anything that you don't think needs to be changed. If you have that mentality, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And you look at yourself and say, well, my, my stuff's not broken. My stuff's fine. You're not going to change a thing. And that's where most people are at. And sadly, here's the thing. I think it's a very sad thing that people have to enter into a crisis situation before they realize, man, I need to change. You know, why is it not until the doctor looks at your body and is like, man, you're in bad physical shape. You need to change your diet immediately. Why do you wait for that? Why do you wait for a crisis before you make a change? Why do you wait until your kids aren't serving the Lord? Why do you wait until your marriage is on the rocks? Why do you wait instead of staying introspective and lining your life up to the word of God? See what I mean? And that's key. Get the lazy people out of your life. Number four. Liars. Get liars out. <laughs> I have nothing to do with liars. If I, let me tell you something. If I find out that a person's a liar, if I find out that a person's a liar, 
I will have nothing more to do with them. And I don't care how close to me they used to be. If I find out you're a liar, you are out. You are out. Because lying is not some small thing. Lying's a big deal. You're aligning yourself with the nature of Satan. Put this in the comments so that it's, it's that heavy in your spirit. When someone becomes a liar, they are aligning themselves with the nature of Satan. That's heavy. Why do you think God hates a lying tongue, the Bible says? It's not just because he doesn't hate lying. It's not just because he hates lying. It's because Jesus Christ is the truth. He doesn't just tell the truth. He is the truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth. The reason he's opposed to lies is because he embodies the truth. And Satan is the father of all lies. When someone becomes a liar, they are aligning themselves with the nature of Satan. That's how wicked it is to be a, a, a liar. And that's right, Alice. Liars go to hell. And I refuse to align myself with Satan's nature. I align myself with God's nature, and that is the truth. Speaking the truth in love. Amen. And if I find out that someone is a liar, they just, whether they know it or not, they just got cut off. There's people, they think that they're, I, I guarantee you, they, they think that they're still close to me. They don't even realize. We haven't talked meaningfully in years. Years. You know why? I found out that you're a liar. I found out that you're a liar. And guess what? If you'll lie about other people, you'll lie about me. Put that in there as well and write it in your notes. If they will lie about other people, they'll lie about me. That's right. Lies do destroy families and lives. Put that in your notes and remember it forever. That's a, that's a piece of wisdom that you need to carry with you throughout the rest of your life. If they'll lie about other people, they will lie about you. And so the very best thing you can do, the very best thing you can do is separate yourself from those people. Not only have they aligned themselves with the nature of Satan, they will destroy your purpose, your life, your relationships, and it'll just be one big headache. One big headache. And if they'll lie about other people, they'll lie about you. So you know what? God bless you. Love you from afar. I've got nothing more to do with you. Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. And so I have no time for that kind of a person. No time whatsoever. No time whatsoever. You got to guard yourself. I've seen people destroyed because of liars that they've kept around their life. And just thinking, let's all, you know, they don't, they just, you know, they lie every now and then. It's like, yeah, it's a serious thing. Don't keep it in your life. Don't keep it in your life. And then finally, let me give you number five, critical people, critical people. I can't stand critical. They're critical about everything. 
See, the other thing is when you realize you're not called to change everybody, you start to realize, you know what? It's like Jesus said, why are you trying to take the speck out of somebody else's eye when you've got a beam in your eye? One of the hardest things that we can do as believers is stay introspective all the time. Where we're like, and and that's maturity, by the way. That is the highest level of maturity. Is rather than blaming other people, looking at other people, focusing on other people, being critical of what they did, you know, or or you know, um, comparing yourself to those that are behind you in the faith. Well, at least I'm not like them. You know, it's like that is the height of immaturity. Maturity. What maturity does is maturity is always inwardly focused saying, what is it about me that needs to change? What is it about me that could be better? What could I do in my life to be more pleasing unto God? What could I do? What could I do to be more pleasing to God than I am right now? Forget what other people are doing. You're not in charge of other people. What could I do? What could I do? To be more pleasing to God. What needs to change in me? That's introspection. Only mature people can do that. Only mature Christians can do that. We cannot be critical people. Let me read two verses to you. Put it in your notes. Colossians chapter 3. And we're going to read verses 12 and 13. Actually, and 14. Colossians 3, 12 through 14. Listen to this. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And patience. Let let me say that again. I'm going to read 12 again. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. If you put those things on, it'll help you with this next part. Bearing with one another. That's an interesting phrase there. I want you to get that. Bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. The New Living Translation says there, make room for one another's faults that's heavy, man. Make room for one another's faults. Make room for one another's faults. That means that you understand already people are going to have faults. People are going to make mistakes. People are going to do things that are wrong. Be ready for it and make room for one another's faults. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. Let me read you that same passage in the new living translation. Colossians chapter three, verses 12 through 14. Listen to this. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender hearted mercy Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults 
and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. Perfect harmony. And so I'm telling you, if you want to see what God has called you to do flourish, you've got to make up your mind. I am not going to allow myself to stick around these people and to let them stick around me and destroy my character and destroy my, uh, uh, my reputation even. Doubters, right? Not going to allow doubt and unbelief to fill my heart. Never. Complainers. I'm not going to be a complainer. I'm going to give thanks totally and constantly give thanks unto God. It needs to be a part of my life at all times. Lazy. I'm not going to be lazy. I'm not going to allow laziness around my life. Liars. I'm not going to allow it around my life. Those that are critical, got a critical spirit. And I know that as I've been teaching today, I know there's people that you are, like faces are popping up in your mind. It's like, yeah, I know that guy. I know that guy. I know that guy. I know that girl. Yeah. And you have to guard yourself. See, because the Bible says bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. And so you've got to do everything in your power to keep yourself in alignment with God's word and to keep people around you that will push you to do the same thing in faith. I need people around me that will push me to do the same thing in faith and not miss out on the calling and purpose of God in my life. And I'm telling you, the reason I'm teaching this kind of stuff is we're going to another level in 2022, that we're going to have a year of divine possession where we're not going to miss out on anything that God's going to do. We're not, never going to be on the fringe. We'll be right in the middle of the move of God in our, in our lives. And, and Rose says this. She said, anyone you don't feel uplifted when you leave their company is someone you need to walk away from. Somebody that you always feel... You ever left somebody's presence and you like feel dirty? You left somebody's presence and you feel like, oh, I'm like, I need to get, I need to get like encouraged. <laughs> you ever been there? I mean, I've been there. And you sit there and think to yourself like, my God, I need to like, I need to listen to some praise music or something. Because like after having that conversation, I feel like, good Lord, what in the world is the deal? Yeah, it's a sign to you that a person's not carrying the right spirit. They're not living the right way that God's called them to live and it's causing them to be held back. I'm not gonna be held back with you, buddy. You wanna be held back, that's your business, but I'm moving on with God. I'm doing what God called me to do and I refuse to be held back by people that don't wanna go. They don't wanna go. You can't make everybody go to the promised land. Some people will complain. Some people will get upset. Some people will be critical. Some people will be lazy. I can't make you go to the promised land, but I'm going, I'm going. I want you, if those of you that are, you know what I'm talking about, you're ready for this is your year of divine possession, just put it in the comments. Last thing, I'm going, I'm going. Everybody else may not go. They may not want to. They may not feel it. They may be critical. They may be lazy. They may be liars. They may be uh, doubters, complainers, whatever. They may not go. I'm going, I'm going in Jesus name. And I want you to put that in the comments. If it's you, make up your mind today. I'm going. I'm going. By the power of the Holy Ghost. I'm going. 
I'm going to be in my promised land. I'm going to have what God said I can have. I'll do what God said I can do. I'm going in Jesus' name. I'm going. I want to pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for the tribe. Thank you for every faithful member. Thank you for those that are standing with us, believing for miracles, believing for a generation to be changed by the power of God. I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you for your power that's working in our families and in our lives, that this is going to be the greatest year we've ever seen by far in Jesus' name, by far. And Lord, I ask you today that you would give us the strength and the boldness, because that's what it takes in order to bring separation to our own lives, separate ourselves from what is holding us back, holding us back from what you've called us to do. And so, Lord, give us that kind of boldness and strength and urgency. Give us a compassion for people. Let us never stop loving them. Let us never stop believing the best, hoping the best, praying for the best, but also give us the strength to separate where we need to separate and let our hearts this year be filled with greater faith than we've ever had. Let our hearts be filled with greater faith. Let our mouths only give thanks let us never complain in Jesus' name. Let us only be diligent. Let us never be lazy. Let us only speak the truth. Let us never be liars. And let us only build others up, never be critical of them. In Jesus' mighty name, we thank you. We give you praise and we give you glory. In Jesus' name, if you receive it and believe it, somebody shout aloud, amen. Hallelujah. Again, don't forget, we're live tonight at seven o'clock. I'm challenging you on this Wednesday to sow a faith seed by the power of God. You'll see the information on the lower part of the screen, how you can sow seed, how you can partner with this ministry. You can go to miracleword.com and you can sow a seed. You can use any digital platform you'd like that you see there listed on the website uh, to sow your seed, including if you'd like to sow via cryptocurrency, you can do the same. If you are old fashioned, you like to mail a check, even the website has the address to our mailing address, our mailbox, if you will. So you can do that if you want to. But let me just put this challenge out. Let me put this challenge out. As we're standing in 28 days of glory, I want to challenge you to partner with Carolyn with me. I do. I've asked the Lord already, and we've got a lot of seed in the ground, but I've said, Lord, I'm asking you to send a thousand people to this ministry that will stand with us at at least $85 a month or more whatever they can do, whatever their faith uh, is pushing them, driving them to do. And so I want to challenge you to stand with us in financial partnership. The way to do that is to go to the website and you can uh, click on the partner page and sign up. And for everybody that is in the month of February partnering with us, I want to send you this book, 31 Reasons People Do Not Receive Their Financial Harvest by Dr. Mike Murdoch. Very eye-opening book very eye-opening book. People don't understand, well, how come my blessing's not coming? How come my increase isn't coming? This will show you things you may have never seen before, but it'll open your eyes. It'll open your eyes to uh, what could be holding back what God has for you. And then for those that are standing at $250 or more, we also want to include with that book, this one by Dr. Lester Sumrall, one of my favorites, it's called Miracles Don't Just Happen. It is really a, um, a whole collection 
of some of the greatest miracle stories you've ever read. And it'll build your faith to another level. And those that are sowing a thousand all at once, I'm going to include the Net Study Bible with 60,000 translators' notes. And uh, this is my favorite study tool as of right now. All three of these we're going to put in your hand for those sowing $1,000 or more. And then, of course, if you're sowing at the $5,000 level to really build the kingdom, you're believing, maybe larger, 10000 20000 whatever you're doing on that front, we're going to send you the Elite Study Collection, which is a full box of study materials uh, in a keepsake box that we're going to put together just for you and say thank you for standing with us and building the kingdom uh, before Jesus comes back. Very important souls need to be saved. And so thank you for taking the challenge. Thank you to those that are already standing with us and believing that this is going to be a year where this generation is changed and impacted by the power of God. I love you so very much. And I want to say, um, don't miss tonight. Don't miss tonight at seven o'clock. It's going to be a powerful, powerful service. You can log on. I'm sure you, you might get home from church and we're still going. Throw it on Facebook, throw it on, on, on YouTube, and jump into what God's doing. It's been amazing. Have a powerful day. I love you, and I'll talk to you again very soon. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.